Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is episode 26 with Santiago Jaramillo. Welcome to the As Told by Nomads podcast, where you'll learn how nomads, third culture kids, entrepreneurs, and leaders all over the world embrace their global identity and use their difference to make a difference. And now, having lived on four different continents, here's your host, Tyo Roxas. Welcome, everybody. Today, I have with me Santiago Jaramillo. And he's the CEO and founder of Blue Bridge Digital. Welcome to the show, Santiago. Thanks. Appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So, you know, I, I you know, I found out about you when I was listening to a podcast. Um, and then, you know, your background struck me, especially when you were talking about your Colombian experience. And I knew I had to have you on the show. So if you could just introduce yourself and maybe talk about your background I think that, you know, it'll be great to give an, uh, our audience more of an insight as to who you are. Sure. Yeah, so I was, uh, I was born in uh, Cali, Colombia, and uh, lived there uh, from, from my childhood. My, my parents are, uh, are Colombian and, uh, you know, their grandparents and parents before them. So um, we, were, we were living there and, uh, you know, got, got pretty unsafe. Uh, at the time uh, to live there, it's kind of a, um, a a longer story. Maybe not 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 for this question. Maybe a little later. Okay. Uh, we, were, we were almost kidnapped, and uh, we actually ended up, you know, through that we we didn't get kidnapped, but we just narrowly uh, missed. And so my family decided, boy, this is not a good situation for you know to raise our kids in. And uh, unfortunately enough, my dad had his own business at the time, was able to get a work visa, and we moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida when I was 10. So I started uh, fifth grade here uh, in the U.S., basically trying to figure out how to learn the language and, uh, and survive and then adapt in this, in this new place. And, uh, you know, through that, I, uh, I started a few businesses when I was little and, uh, and a few in high school and a couple more in college. And the last one that I started was Blue Bridge. And um, for, for that one, we, we have mobile apps as a service uh, for convention and visitors bureaus, for colleges, for universities, and for churches and other types of organizations. So we are about uh, 27 uh, folks full-time now and have had a, an amazing three years of growth. And uh, we've grown uh, 
just very very rapidly and and uh, the business is, is is doing really well so um, that's kind of my uh, my 30 second uh, bio uh, in in uh, in in a nutshell. No, no, I, I do appreciate that. And you mentioned a few things there. Yeah, you sort of uh, breezed through it, but the kidnapping experience, I would like you to dive into a little bit more about what living in Colombia was like a little bit and your childhood, um, you know, sort of that maturation you had and some of the experiences you had before you, you moved to Fort Lauderdale. Sure. Yeah, growing up in Colombia was uh, was actually just a, an incredible experience. It's, it's a... Uh, uh, I, I'd say I had a very good childhood. It was really just kind of that one isolated incident um, that uh, that was pretty pretty difficult, and obviously had a very meaningful impact. But so we used to go to this uh, Catholic church every single Sunday. It's just kind of kind of what we did. It's just kind of family tradition. We'd go there and have lunch together, and go to the country club in the afternoon. And uh, my dad would you know play golf, and you know we the kiddos would hang out at the pool, and that was kind of what we did every single Sunday. And I was reading Robinson Crusoe one day, and um, I just got obsessed about building a treehouse. And so we were able to uh, start the treehouse, and we had it all. Uh, we spent all day Saturday kind of uh, finishing up. We really just needed to get the roof. We bought we bought palm fronds, so actual palm leaves, uh, and they were drying out. So I said, "Dad, can we skip church so we can you know f- finish building the treehouse?" And he said, "Well, go talk to mom." And and I did, and, and mom was okay with it. And so we skipped church. Um, that day it was very very rare sort of success for me uh, to get them to, to let me do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure enough, you know we're we're building the treehouse and we hear some gunshots and the church was actually just diagonally ac- across the street from where we lived and so these gunshots were, were very close and very loud. We went up there and saw two military trucks uh, parked outside the church and uh, they looked like the army. They were dressed like the army. But uh, pretty soon, after watching them for a couple minutes, we realized that there was something amiss. There was something not right. Wow. They were um, three people get it, ended up getting killed. They were they were kind of shooting uh, up in the air uh, to get people moving, which the army just isn't allowed to to, to, to fire into the, the air just yeah. to sort of get people moving. It's against the, their policies. And so my dad knew something was up. And what they ended up doing was the guerrillas, uh, kind of the armed militia forces at the time, um, had a had a vacuum of funding uh, from from the drug trade. So they started uh, trying to get money by doing kidnappings, and this was the first mass kidnapping. And so they one of the first uh, mass kidnappings, and, and the first one that was so deep into the city. Uh, but they ended up kidnapping over 100 people that day. Uh, kept some of them, uh, many of them, for over a year. Didn't know if they're, you know, alive or not. And so we had, you know, extended family members and, and friends from church and just people in our community that that um, that went through a really, really rough time. Uh, obviously, not knowing if their, you know, mom and dad was was alive and and, and that sort of thing. So um, that's when that's when you know my parents decided, boy, this isn't a good situation. We've we've got to get out of here. Time to move. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, you know, I mean, it, that that was, you were, I mean, it was very fortunate you to actually want to build a treehouse because I guess if not for that, you probably won't be here. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rousseau, uh reading that book changed my life. So, yeah. Nah, well, oh, we're very thankful for Robinson Crusoe because uh, we won't be having his interview here. Yes, so, <laughs> so talk to me now. So you moved uh, after that experience, you moved to Fort Lauderdale. What was that like when you came here? I'm imagining you, you you spoke mainly Spanish. I don't know how much your English, how good your English was at the time, but um, you had to adapt to the you know the American culture and the society. How did you sort of fit in, and what was the grown pains process like? Oh sure. 
It's a good question. Uh, you know, so when I first came here, at first it's just kind of shock, right? It feels like vacation at first. You're, everything's kind of new and different. It smells different. It sounds different. It tastes different. I mean, just everything that you can think of has been changed. Uh, and so at first, you, you just so much change. You don't exactly know quite how to deal with it. Um, we also moved in with my cousins. Um, and they lived here with my sort of aunt and uncle and, and their two, that's son and daughter. So there was, there was really eight of us, four on their side and four on us uh, in a two-bedroom apartment. Um, and so that was that was some tight quarters uh, yeah. for like three months. Uh, but it was really good because we were just surrounded by people, obviously, the whole time. And, and while it was uh, uncomfortable, we grew close together as a family. Then school started. It was a whole nother. We came in the summer. Uh, school started, and that was a whole nother sort of beast. Uh, you know, I spoke as much as much English as 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 kids do here when they graduate high school, and they've taken three Spanish classes. They're like pantalones and gato, and they're done. Um, you know, so it's it's a little bit kind of like that as far as I knew English. I'd taken a few English classes. My school is actually a bilingual school. Oh, okay. But, um, but when people um, talk really fast here, much more than they do in textbooks, and then your teachers spoke to you, so it really was kind of uh, learning it all over again, uh, although I had some decent foundations. Anyway, I didn't adjust very well. Um, so our, our town um, got, I, I mean, overrun, for lack of a better word, by Colombian and Venezuelan immigrants like like us that all left kind of, and, and we all, not all, but, but a, a lot of us ended up in the same town, and so all the schools were very, very good. They were all kind of A schools, which is why our families moved there. But it also meant that all the kids going there now had overcrowded schools. They had to put portables outside, like literally sort of like trailers because the kids didn't fit into the schools. And mm. that led to a lot of racial tension because obviously, mm. you know, the American kids were have, getting a great education with, you know, 15 or 20 kids in each classroom. And all of a sudden, all these Hispanic immigrants come and, you know, they have 30, 30 people per classroom and there's not enough resources to go around um, in that sort of a thing. And obviously that, that just led to, to tensions. And the... Uh, I didn't, you know, in middle school, you, you talk a lot of trash and that's what you do, you know, to survive in the playground. And yeah. I wasn't very good at talking trash. And I was also very angry because of everything that, you know, had happened and that didn't transition well. And I just started getting into tons of fights. I pretty much got suspended a few times from my middle school and uh, almost pretty much got kicked out. Uh, was kind of sent to this alternative place where there was bars on the windows and literally like an armed guard uh, overseeing each of us doing homework on our own, like without a teacher. The teachers would just send all of the worksheets and the work and the reading materials ahead of time and I'd just sit in this little desk. That's <laughs> like that's like detention on steroids. Yeah, yeah. It was like you're not like you're too dangerous to like go to school with all of the kids that were going to put you in this place. And you know, that was a low moment for me for sure. Uh, when I realized, boy, this is not, I'm not adapting well here. Um, and then from then on, I was, you know, I just kind of committed to, to being successful here, whatever it took. And, and part of that, um, was uh, was really sitting with the American kids at lunch, right? So you can imagine my situation every day at the lunchroom. There was the American kids um, sitting in, in, in tables, and there was the Colombian kids speaking in Spanish at their tables. And I had a choice. I could go where the comfortable, when the comfort was, uh, where they spoke my own language, when they just had experiences like I just had, uh, and speak Spanish. And, and, and what that meant was really not learn much English because I was speaking in Spanish the whole time. Uh, or I could be really uncomfortable, put myself out there, and sit with the American kids, uh, who at the time, you know, some of them may have wanted to sit with me and some of them may not have, um, to learn the language and to assimilate into the culture because that's what it 
usually takes to be successful in a new place. And uh, so I chose chose the second one, uh, much to the chagrin of being a sellout uh, to, to some of my Colombian friends. But uh, uh, and and that was really kind of a I think a key pivotal choice and and uh, and me being able to kind of adapt and assimilate and kind of sell out to 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 to, to obviously keeping. Uh, my background and my heritage and my language, you know, speaking Spanish at home, but but realizing that um, that existing in this closed off community with the other Colombian kids speaking Spanish wasn't going to get me any closer to to fully assimilating uh, and and adapting uh, to the situation. Wow. Yeah. No. I mean, I can definitely identify with that. Just me being Nigerian and often being confused for many things, just the way I sound. Uh, but I, this thing always happens. This happened to me. I don't know if it happened to you. At what point did you start having questions about, you know, what nationality you are? I mean, obviously, I'm hearing you now. You sound, you know, American, but I know you you speak Spanish fluently. When did you know that thing start happening to you? It's like, hey, are you are you a Spanish? Are you really Colombian, or are you just like you know one of the Americanized Colombians? Are you Colombian enough? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great question. Uh, so I, I'd say it was right around the time where uh, we took a couple of years of going back to Colombia. We used to kind of go back every summer after we left. And I think probably year three or four, uh, we went back, hadn't been in a couple of years. And uh, I realized that I didn't know a lot of the words anymore, uh, like the slang that had developed in the two years that I hadn't been there. So people were talking in Colombia words that I had never learned before and uh, they were listening to music that I hadn't really listened before and then five years into it all of the friends that I grew up with were living different lives and I realized I knew who they were five years ago but you change a lot when you go from 10 to 15 or from 12 to 17 you're just very different people right um, and so it felt like I didn't know my friends anymore I felt like I I wasn't Colombian enough when I went to Colombia but I wasn't American enough when I was in the US and I was like I'm not Colombian I'm not American what am I uh, and then somebody introduced me, uh, interestingly enough, to this like third culture component. To the exactly. Type. It's you're you're really neither. Yeah. Um, you're you're just kind of and uh, this unique blend of this other thing, which you know has its, all these other connotations of you. Sometimes you, you don't feel like you belong anywhere, but you kind of can belong anywhere because yeah. of breadth and depth of experiences that you have, the different perspectives on the world that you see by having. Uh, lived and experienced two different cultures just helps you critique each one of them also exactly Uh, helps you say i I love this about my culture but i see it has some limitations here um and uh it it becomes something that at first i was ashamed that my name was santiago because i was just like all the other immigrants that were coming you know and i just felt like uh, just another you know hispanic immigrants you know coming to south florida uh, and then, uh, and then, you know, I don't know what changed, but, uh, um, it, it, it changed to being proud that my name yeah. was Santiago and changed to, to being proud of my background and, and, and willing to talk about it rather than, um, seeking to sort of, um, you know, shove it under the, under the rug. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember with me, I was in middle school and I remember, you know, I got questioned, you know, people kept asking me why my hair was curly or, you know, like, why do I look the way I was? And I remember feeling very, very different and wishing I was like a different uh, color. But as I started to grow up, it started becoming you know, apparent to me because, you know, my dad's a diplomat and you grow up everywhere. Yeah. It started becoming that, you know, you don't have to own one culture. And Nigeria very much like Colombia has its great things, but it also has its, as uh, you know, it's uh 
things that could be worked on, for lack of a better word. Uh, sure. And um, and those relate to kidnappings as well as government stuff. But uh, so those things happen, and then you just you know sometimes people, if I tell them Nigerian, I get that. Oh, did you um, uh, did you you the credit card fraud guy? Were you that prince that's trying to steal my credit card information? But you know <laughs> all those stereotypes. But then the more I started to you know get comfortable with this third culture kid, which is why the podcast came about. Is you know it just became apparent that there are lots of advantages that we can have once we apply that to many yeah. things, uh, and and that leads me to the next question that I'm going to ask you is because you've obviously become an entrepreneur out of this, um, and I'm curious to know if it's you think it's because of your background or you think your background had something to do with you wanting to to sort of uh, you know get into this um, career choice. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. So I think there's a, a few things that I think have played into into me becoming an entrepreneur and what I, what that's happened and kind of the role that that my background is the kind of having a, a third culture background has. Um, I think the first thing is you know my mom and dad uh, did that and so they were entrepreneurs and so I think that opened up um, my my worldview to say this is something that's possible and that people do and that you can succeed in and uh, it's worth trying. And so that is the first thing for sure. But definitely, you know, when we came over uh, to the U.S. and I was in high school, uh, my parents were figuring out uh, the country and the culture and the language just as much as I was, right? And and even the culture, I mean, you know, kids learn fast and they're and they're moldable, and so you can kind of uh, adapt fairly quickly. It's it's a bit harder. I think you have to be more intentional and open to adapt when as right. as you as you get older. And so certainly, uh, things like hey, you have to sign up for the SAT or you should start studying for the SAT because there's that's like the test that you have to take and do well to get into college. Uh, this is something that parents of, of uh, you know, American kids born here um, just obviously have for granted that their parents took the SAT and, and they can even help them study and they know that, you know, you should start studying six months beforehand, etc. I kind of had to figure all that by myself. Um, so from that perspective, my parents were uh, incredibly uh uh, amazing uh, growing up they were super supportive they made tons of sacrifices to get here but when 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 we got here um, there wasn't a ton of school stuff necessarily or culture stuff that they could help me with I was kind of on my own and uh, so I think that bred um, a type of resourcefulness and confidence and independenceness uh, independence I guess that uh, that that was strengthened in me that I think made a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Me more likely to enter entrepreneurship, to be okay with the uncertainty, to be okay with 
um, the independence that there's nobody telling you what to do, but that that, that in itself is a whole uh, challenge of, well, what do you do? How do you prioritize all the pressures on you at all times? And, you know, all of those things that come with it, I think my, my background of kind of having to figure it out uh, on my own, if you will. I mean, I wasn't by any means on my own, but you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. No, I absolutely get it. And, okay. And then to... With your with your uh, job, can you talk a little bit more about what what you do, so our audience can know and maybe uh, even become clients? But uh... <laughs> sure, yeah. So I, in college, uh, my my senior year, I was working for my junior year, I was working for Exact Target, and I fell in love with tech entrepreneurship and fell in love with the software as a service business model. And uh, I I just also saw one stat in 2011, and that was smartphones were outselling PCs for the first time ever in 2011 and, and that caught my eye and I got so excited about that shift I thought it was going to be one of the most uh, meaningful technology shifts in our lifetime and uh, it turns out that, that that's been the case uh, smartphones we're spending more time in smartphones now um, than we are in TV uh, that's the first technology to ever exceed and so I started doing custom apps custom mobile apps for companies and pretty soon realized that you know I could charge a company $15,000 up front or $20,000 to build a mobile app but the first day that that app was in the app store that, that actually I delivered it and it went live was the best day that that app would ever look and would ever function. Hmm. Uh, Google and Android were changing their operating systems so quickly that so many bugs were happening with the app and um, they weren't keeping up with the new design trends um, that, uh, that were evolving and so pretty soon I figured out that the custom mobile app development model was broken it just it caused apps that get more expensive over time and decrease in quality over time, which is just literally the opposite of what you want out of anything right. that you purchase. And so, so we said, why don't we flip that around? Why don't we create one uh, mobile app uh, uh, creation, uh, building, and management platform? So we do all of the functionality for these key set for these key industries, these niches, and uh, that way we can keep investing in our platform. All of our clients are on the same code base and the apps actually get better over time and the way that we charge is just an annual subscription that's set so it's just a recurring subscription every year and that that includes an iPhone Android app uh, content management system to change the content in the app um, push notifications to send mobile analytics to see how well it's working and unlimited training and support all for kind of a, a, an annual subscription price and so like I said we work with uh, churches associations uh, colleges and universities and lots of convention and visitors bureaus we're actually the largest tourism app developer in the world we have more convention visitor bureau clients than anyone else out there so anyway uh, that, that's what we do and so if, if anybody kind of out there has a has a, a mobile app need that could potentially fit fit some of our functionality our website is gobluebridge.com gobluebridge.com all right no yeah i'll definitely put it on the show notes and um i think a lot of the audience you know a lot of the audience you know they're international and they they have a lot of travel needs and stuff like that so i think they're bound to identify with some of the concepts there for sure um so Transitioning here, uh, no, actually, before I do that, what are some of the best resources that you found as an entrepreneur? I was curious because you said, as you were talking that, I was just thinking how you manage your time because I, I imagine uh, the workload you have, the amount of meetings you have, uh, you have to have with a, an app and a business like yours. I'm just curious how you manage the time and what you use. 
Yeah, so uh, Google Calendar, obviously, uh, to manage my time, we use Google Apps as a business, and so uh, any any meeting always is, is in my calendar, and I you know kind of live and die by it. I, I show up to the things that are in my calendar, and I don't to the ones that don't. <laughs> so that's my sort of single version of the truth of where I'm supposed to be at all times. Um, and then, uh, you know, I use tons of little uh, kind of systems uh, to keep me organized and manage my time. I mean, the, the, the productivity philosophy of batching um, is, is a really important one. So I try and divide my day into the biggest chunks possible. So if I have three meetings, I'll try and batch those meetings all to happen right next to each other. Right. Um, so I don't end up with these kind of half hour or one hour blocks of you know work time in the middle. Because usually, um, so I'll try and you know organize a three or four hour block of time to work through tasks um, so that I can be more productive. Um, you know, between between that and and my smartphone and uh, Google Hangouts, out and Skype for virtual meetings, uh, Google Docs and Google Drive for collaboration with others, Text Expander uh, to try and uh, minimize the amount of kind of repetitive typing uh, that I do, and and some other kind of uh, tactics like that. I think you know all of those things uh, help me manage my time and my workload. Obviously, I love it. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Google Apps. I'm I live in New York City, so I'm always walking around. So on my phone, if I'm not on my computer, I just pull up the Google. Drive app, Google Doc, whatever, and then I just start typing, and then I get back home on the computer. I just pick up where I left off, um, yeah. and it's you know it saves that duplication of efforts. All right, so transitioning to your personal life, how have you resolved that feeling of home? Sure, um, you know that feeling of home. That's interesting. Um, shoot. I don't know if I've resolved it yet. I found peace with it, if that makes sense. Yeah. That, uh, I don't necessarily claim um, a specific country uh, as home, although I'd say that I feel most comfortable now in the U.S., right. um, although I, I will always be Colombian, and I will um, and I will always just kind of deeply resonate with the sights, sounds, and music, you know, of... Of, of, of my home country, it stirs something deep within my soul. I don't know how to else to explain it, but it's this, this <laughs> yeah. is like, this is my homeland calling yeah. uh, in a way. Okay. So, so that'll never go away. But if you, if you give me the choice of, of where I could live, I would live in the U.S. any day. Uh, if, but, and, and there isn't a specific, you know, we've moved around so much that no specific building structure is home either. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I like to think of myself, I think of uh, as like a citizen of the world, if that makes sense. No, know? I think, you know, that's, that's the beauty of being a third culture kid. I, I, just, I often ask that question because I'm curious to hear the answers. And I've heard people say, home is where my suitcase is. Home is where I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. You know, home is where I have a room. So it, it, it's just interesting hearing the different ideas. Um, I don't know how to answer that question myself just because I've been everywhere. <laughs> so yeah. it's like uh, I, I've just become comfortable with being the nomad. Um, so, all right. Um, we, we talked about that. Now, this is this is some, a part I love about this show because my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. Mm-hmm. That's something I try to live by every day. Um, and I'm just curious to know how you, uh, Santiago, use your difference to make a difference. Sure. Um, so right now I'm actually just working, working right on, right exactly uh, on how to do that. And uh, what we're starting is I'm passionate about uh, bla- breaking cyclical poverty uh, in children. And I think that the only way uh, that you break cyclical po- poverty is through education. Mm. And so uh, what we're doing is uh, we're partnering up uh, one, uh, me and, and, a, and a friend of mine who was uh, adopted from Colombia and now lives in the U.S. He never really even kind of 
met his his parents or anything from Colombia, but just, you know, knows his entire life as an American, but he was actually born there. Uh, Him and I are working with an orphanage in Colombia that uh, has a, a, a computer room of, like, four computers, and uh, we're donating um, so that they can have around 10 or 15 computers, and we're paying for a computer institute, one of the professors and teachers there, to come and teach the kids uh, computer lessons, so that when they get to be 18 and, you know, they leave, that they have basic computer skills and actually have had a chance to to graduate with a certificate or two, um, so that they're more prepared uh, to enter kind of the the, the work world uh, in Colombia. So I'm passionate about technology. I think computers and technology will keep playing increasingly important parts uh, in our lives and will be increasingly key pieces uh, for someone to have as a differentiator for them to get jobs. And obviously the main thing for these kids is uh, they're the lucky ones who have, who have uh, a home and, and food and, yeah. and, and a bed and, and, and uh, somewhere to sleep. But uh, life is going to get a lot tougher when they turn 18 and, and, they're, and they have to leave the orphanage. And so helping them, equipping them with, uh, with life and work skills to make that tra- uh, transition just is, is exactly right up my alley to solve the, 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 the kind of problem for folks, for, for people that I want to fix yeah. uh, using technology, which is you know, what I'm passionate about and what I do. No, no, that is so cool. I mean, I I couldn't agree with you more about what technology has to offer. I mean, I often joke that the the world is flat, you know, that Ferdinand Magellan was long, wrong about the world being wrong. And that's just because of, you know, digital platforms that we have right now. I mean, we're Skyping. I think you're in Indiana. Yep. Um, yeah. And I'm here in New York, and I've done this with people in Hong Kong and all sorts of the world, but it's, it's something that we're able to produce in a matter of hours uh, and get to the world just because of technology. And yeah. Absolutely, um, it's the great equalizer. Exactly, and that with education, I couldn't agree with you more uh, on that. My biggest role model is Nelson Mandela; he was a proponent of that. And um, I think education goes a long way in educating in countries such as ours, Nigeria and Colombia, where you have people that have grown up with certain mind- mindsets, and they, they don't, you know, sometimes they don't grow out of that. It's once you, you educate them, they start to see the possibilities of different different sorts of uh, things and different other options, and then you know that comes through the way you educate them and what you teach them and how uh, the possibilities that you open their mind to. So Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that. All right, this is – we're going to almost end soon here. I just want to go into some more fun questions here. Um, sure. Before that, what piece of advice would you give a young 13-year-old Santiago? You know, <laughs> the, the, the one that was in detention, the one that had to have the bars and all that. You, what would you tell him? Yeah, I'd probably tell him to, to uh, everything is going to be okay, just chill. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think you have a lot of angst uh, for sure. You know, when you go after after a big transition like that, uh, obviously that's hard on anybody. But, you know, any 13-year-old just, uh, boy, you just have, or you're working through so much. Uh, who am I? What's my worth? Where does my worth come from? Uh, am I liked? Am I loved? Do I like myself? Do I love myself? I'm just You're just working through such... Um, deep, deep psychological issues, and, and you're uh, not necessarily always fully equipped to handle uh, all those issues. And uh, it's just a tumult- emotionally tumultuous time. And uh, and I think you know one of the one of the uh, the better pieces of advice is you know life life goes on. It's going to be okay. Uh, and uh, and just you know keep, keep having that hope that uh, that tomorrow holds a better future than than today is is really kind of all you need to keep going. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. All right. Now, you've traveled a, a bit. What's the country that you visited that has the best food? 
Oh, the best food. I was usually going to say, what, what's your favorite place? Um, oh, oh, yo, that's coming. <laughs> uh, well, I'll just answer that one. It's New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand. That place uh, is unreal. You've got so many ecosystems uh, so close together. I mean, in, a, in, in an area smaller than most U.S. states, uh, you have high alpine country. You have uh, tropical uh, beach destinations. You have uh, deserts. You have hot springs. I mean, and, and you drive two hours and you're in... Uh, a glacier and you drive uh, two hours and you're in, in a tropical jungle and that that's just uh, an amazing place to travel so much goodness and, and beauty packed into uh, such a such a small place and you, you feel like you're at the end of the world just because uh, because you are wow. um, oh, the food though oh boy the food <laughs> um, uh, I would say if I had to pick the place with the best food it would be I think Australia. You are Australia. very partial to that region. You like that that region, that New Zealand Australia region. Yeah, <laughs> Australian. Like, so the U.S. People don't. I don't know if people know this, but Mexican food is awesome in the U.S. and Mexico. It is not as awesome anywhere else. Um, and it's the same thing, and not the same thing, but very similar. I think with with Asian food is Australia has lots of Asian immigrants, just like the U.S. has lots of Mexican immigrants. Uh, and there's been obviously this kind of a melding of Australian and Asian cuisine that I think is delicious because mm-hmm. uh, they're using a lot of the ingredients of Australia with a lot of the kind of uh, preparation techniques and sauces of Asian. I thought that that was that was incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I remember going to Europe and having Mexican food and just being like, oh boy, this is nowhere near as good. And it's well, they don't have that many Mexican immigrants, and uh, <laughs> those guys are the ones that are bringing over the recipes and the authentic uh, techniques to to make them taste really good. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. What about best music? Uh, best music. Uh, you know, I have to say uh, Columbia. It's a I, very. Uh, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> personally, uh, you know, what, what I loved about there is this, there's, uh, this culture of dancing uh, where kind of two people can stand in front of each other and uh, and and uh, just socially dance and it isn't uh, it isn't anything more than just a kind of a social dance but it, it's just a, such a fun thing uh, to be able to have that uh, everyone out there there's a common language of dance you all kind of know grow up knowing these three or four different kinds of of, of dance types and uh, you all know how to do it and you go out and you can you know dance with multiple people and uh, I, I miss that a lot uh, it's definitely uh, uh, just social dancing, if that makes sense, uh, is is a, is was a, such a really fun part of Colombia and a fun part of going back. Awesome, awesome. All right, um, which country have you gone to that maybe before you went, you were like, I don't know what to expect, but then you visited and you're like, hmm, that's cool. yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Let's see, um, Belize, uh, Belize was uh, was really interesting. I, I didn't know exactly what to expect. Uh, we went there because they have uh, uh, supposedly kind of the best the best uh, scuba um, diving reef uh, outside of the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. It's kind of number two in the world, and I didn't I have no idea what to expect, but it was uh, it was really interesting. The, the food was delicious. Um, it was a, a lot. Uh, it was uh, a lot smaller than I thought. Uh, it was going to be, mm. and the beaches actually weren't awesome. Uh, the beaches were really small and kind of all covered in seaweed. But uh, the scuba diving and the uh, and the diving and the reefs and the ocean life was was absolutely some of the some of the best I've ever seen. So it was kind of like all of the 
the hidden treasures in Belize uh, lay in the food and in the diving. <laughs> okay, no, that's, that's good. That's good enough. I, I know uh, for, I've been staying for a long time. I need to go to Australia. So now I'm going to add New Zealand and Belize to that. And then uh, uh, I'll just uh, you know, I have a strong recommendation from Santiago. So oh, For sure. <laughs> All right, we're wrapping up here. Where can we find out more about you, what you're doing? And I'm particularly interested in this ed- education project that you're working on. Um, I think it's really cool. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll, we want to uh, start that uh, starting in uh, January 1st, uh, this next upcoming semester. So I'm sure we'll be uh, tweeting out and emailing some stuff out. But really, I think the best place is I'm very active on Twitter. If you follow me, I usually uh, follow you back. And that, that's where I would announce anything like that, where I announce business stuff and where I connect with, with interesting folks. And so um, that is Santiago, J-A-R-A. Uh, just the the four uh, first uh, letters of of my last name, so Santiago Hara, and uh, that that's my Twitter handle. So um, reach out to me there, and I'd love to connect. All right. Well, thank you very much. This has been a very fun interview, and I you know I'm glad that you spent the the time to talk to us about your experiences. I think it was really educative. No, oh, of course, happy to, and uh, an honored uh, honor to be on it. So thank you very much. You're welcome. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to use your difference to make a difference, as well as for show notes, head over to www.uidmag.com. Till next time, go out and make an impact in your world. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.